This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight I am joined by Red Pill Junkie. Close to Halloween, right? <laughs> Close. Yeah, or around. I'm not I'm not sure when people will hear this. Um, it could be years from now. It could be in the middle of summer. Um, a super inframan, otherwise known as Saxon. Hello, hello. And uh, Mr. Octavian. Hello. From the Strange Dominions podcast. Yes. Good. I said that. When, that is the right name, right? Yes. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna hit some listener stories tonight because I have some really interesting ones here I wanted to get to, and I have a few really short ones and a few really long ones. And if you would like to submit a story for a future edition of the Listener Story Show, the best way to do that is to email them to stories at where did the road go dot com. Um, yeah, I'm just not sure which ones to start with. Uh, we'll, st- we'll start with a really short one. This was left on. On YouTube, actually, from the uh, interview I did with Cal Cooper years ago. And he said, uh, he was talking about how he liked the show. And then he said, sort of related, my sister-in-law saw my uncle clear as day three full days after he passed away. He was sitting on the deck in the sun, fully dressed, legs stretched out, straight and crossed, wearing his cowboy boots, thumbs in his jean belt loops as he always looked, with a big old grin on his face looking right at her. She ran away. Uh, he scared the hell out of her. She saw him. He was as solid as any human just sitting there. He was a great guy with a great sense of humor, loved to pull anyone's leg. So there is something to it all that is real. And, uh, yeah, I usually don't get that solid of apparition, but sometimes I wonder if we, we don't encounter this stuff more and we just don't realize it. Yeah. I've read accounts of, uh, what you will call solid apparition, solid enough to interact with people and the witnesses not realizing that they've been you know, uh, talking to someone who's supposed to be dead. Right. Or even, you know, not only talking, but sometimes even, you know, touching. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that the basis of those urban legends where the person picks up a hitchhiker and it's usually a woman and they ask her, you know, they ask the driver to take them home. So they do. And then they go to the door uh, to take them home and they're gone. And then he knocks on the door and asks the parents like, you know, I, I think I picked up your daughter or your son and they just disappeared. And they're like, well, he died 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But I'm go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say that. I mean, we can be walking down the street and pass someone who's not a real person. Who's, who's an apparition. If they're solid enough, we wouldn't even know. Mm-hmm. When I was having some of my, uh, my little mini chapel perilous, I, I was walking down the entertainment district street, and there was a guy walking towards me in like a black leather jacket, smoking a cigarette. And when he got beside me, he disappeared. He's, mm. you know, like we were walking different directions and uh, it wigged me out big time. I bet. Yeah. You know, 
And I'm reminded too, we had a, that listener story. I know we brought it up other times where the guy got home late at night and his neighbor was outside and they ended up like staying up talking yeah. on the porch swing. And then it turned out the neighbor had been dead for six months. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he you was know, like home was, visiting or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's, I think that's pretty cool. Especially if the guy was a prankster, just kind of working in a little, you know, winking the nod from somewhere <laughs> out there. There's a, uh, a class that I might take. It's uh, by an author named Jack Grail, and it's basically they read um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and then they do an an analysis of it to try and find the esoteric components and like methods that they use to talk to their gods and how we could do that in in our practice. And they brought up an interesting point, which is that in that uh, story, many times gods will show up as the hero's friend or the hero's mother Mm. or it's like that. And so it's like, you know, how many people are you talking to that aren't actually them? It's actually a god or it's actually a spirit or something that's just uh, taking the form of someone that you're familiar with. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that part in the Iliad when Zeus sends uh, Hermes to talk to one of the Troy's greatest archers, like saying, hey, man, you know, here's your chance to kill Agamemnon, you know, so and, and, and the archer, you know, tries to take the shot and he doesn't kill the king. She just wounds him in the in the in the leg or something. And that is uh, just when the Greeks were were about to depart Troy and that, you know, only increases the conflict because that's what uh, the gods wanted. You know, the one the some some of them wanted to stop the war or the others wanted to to keep going because they wanted to to root for either Troy or the Greeks. So, so yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's also, you know, think about all these ideas about the men in black. You know, some people think that uh, the men in black are temporary manifestations, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, they, they, they don't last forever. And that's why at some point in some of the accounts, the mm, MIV start to talk real slow and they begin begin almost as if they are losing energy and they 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 actually say that you know i'm losing mm-hmm. power i must be going now and 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 you know it's interesting to me well that yeah. that's the same with monster accounts that that smell as as josh has pointed out is most commonly sulfur which is the smell of decay so right. you know, you got to wonder if these things are literally temporary apparitions of some sort that are instantly decaying as soon as they're here, which is where you're getting that sulfur smell from, and why yeah. you know the footprints just sometimes disappear in the middle of a field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so talking about people pretend or you know the gods standing in place and stuff like this, uh, this is definitely one of those things that's in my the back of my mind being super inframan. But uh, Grant Morrison and Mark Wade that wrote comic books forever still do. uh, And Grant's a big chaos magician. They were working on a Superman pitch together. And uh, Red Pill, you probably know the story. Uh, They were outside somewhere, you know, far away from like a comic convention, but there was one going on. And they're like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could talk to Superman? Mm. And lo and behold, walking down the road is a tall, you know, muscular man in a Superman costume. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they talked to him as if he were Superman, and that was the basis for their pitch for the book. And uh, the guy is known now, and even he's kind of like, it was it was strange. Like, you know, uh, I had my costume on, it was fun, I was coming from this thing, and 
but like I normally would not have been in that headspace. Right. Right. So it's almost like a, a, a tulpa with like, you know, uh, somebody sort of like propping it up. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's like in the, the all the actors that have interpreted uh, the Joker, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even Jack Nicholson warning Heath Ledger, you know, like, hey, you have to learn when to like let the character go you know stop being the joker otherwise mm-hmm. it's going to consume you and apparently you know Heath Ledger didn't pay attention or didn't learn how to do that and that's why you know, people yeah. say it, it, it ended up consuming him uh and which is why he ended his life prematurely mm-hmm. all right well on that dark note uh let's, <laughs> let's move on to a, a weirder story um, so I've talked about, uh, and I was talking about it on the episode with Greg, um, Greg Little. Wow, completely blanked out his name there for a moment. Uh, where I was taking a walk outside one night, and I was getting flashes of light, and then the moon was kind of moving through the clouds, like it was popping through the clouds and shaking. And I've told that story a bunch of times, and I mentioned it to Greg. Um, and someone who listened to that says, you mentioned in the Origins of the Gods episode, seeing the, move, the moon move in impossible ways. When I was a kid, I was looking through a telescope at the moon with my brother, and we both saw it rotating. It would make a full rotation every 30 seconds, which in the material world would probably tear the moon into tiny pieces. At the time, neither of us had any idea about tidal locking or that the moon always faced the same way, so it didn't seem strange. The only possible mundane explanation I can think of is that it was wisps of clouds moving across the face of it, except I can remember tracking the rotational speed by marking when specific patterns showed up again. I also used to see flashes of light pretty frequently, but only when I was experimenting with specific kinds of magic. Hmm. So to me, I I feel like there are some connections there. I I still don't know what to make of the moon thing. I mean, he saw something different. Uh, but still impossible. I mean, what I saw was not possible. The moon was on this side of the clouds, shaking, yeah. and it wasn't an optical illusion. Red pill. Does that remind you of uh, Fatima? Well, obviously, in a way, yeah, of course. Uh, the the famous miracle of the sun, uh, which today nowadays is interpreted by some people as some kind of like ufological manifestation, like the sun was covered by clouds and some object like a bright uh, silver disc replaced it. Mm. Well, and I think Valet was the first one to make that connection, wasn't he? In uh, Dimensions? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess. I mean, uh, uh, because the book that Valet, the books that Valet recommends in, 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 in his books is one written by two Portuguese researchers Joaquin Fernandez and Fina da Armada, they were the first non-Catholic or non-religious researchers who were given permission to look into the actual records that were maintained by the Catholic Church. They like the interviews they made to the witnesses, you know, so how they, people described what they saw that particular day, you know, and there's people from all walks of life, you know, peasants, illiterate uh, uh, people, people from the, from, from the city, uh, lawyers, yeah, doctors, yeah. physicians, atheists, you know, non-believers. Uh, and, and, and they described, uh, not, not always describing the same thing, you know, some people said, oh, it was a, like a silver disc that uh, 
rotated on its center and it moved in, 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 in different ways. And also all others say, no, it was more like a globe, a blue globe that then changed colors. And others people say, no, it was a different thing. And, but people definitely saw something and yes. what oh, it was. Yeah. It's that's the question. <laughs> Well, I've, I've, and uh, I, I do want to say Tim Renner on Strange Familiars has done a two-part thing on Fatima that's excellent. Okay. Uh, that gets into a lot of detail. Uh, but, you know, they mentioned that, too, that a lot of people dismiss it as a UFO thing. And, and when Valet wrote about it, I didn't feel like he was saying, oh, these, this is aliens. You know, I, f I feel like Valet was trying to say, look, there's, there's a lot of the same things going on in these apparitions that you're mm. seeing in also UFO things. And, and his point was more that it doesn't make sense as extraterrestrial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't think dismissing it as a UFO thing is accurate. I think it should be looked at as part of the same type of phenomena with a different face. Yeah. And I think that people like, uh, Dr. Diana Pasulka and Jeffrey, professor Jeffrey Kripal, they are, trying to spearhead that new movement of trying to look into these anomalous phenomena with, I don't know if I want to say a clean slate, but we try not to bring those kinds of preconceptions, either the religious preconceptions, oh, these are miracles performed by God or angels or the devil. Right. Or right. The, nowadays the, the, the favored materialistic interpretation. No, no, these are aliens and the people were just too stupid to comprehend that they <laughs> right. were uh, witnessing super advanced technology that we one day might, might possess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know the, uh, the flashes of light thing. I've, I've known many people who have seen these flashes of light, usually just here and there, like maybe once, you know, once small section of their life, a few days, they'll have it, the experience and never again. But it's like someone took a flashbulb picture of you. Mm -hmm. and right. You, you like can Mike literally, Leland. Like what? Mike, like Mike Leland. Yes. Uh, he's, yeah. He has, he's added a bunch. Like John Keel mentioned, he'd have it when he was in the process of moving, mm. which I thought was interesting because it's liminal. Um, I haven't actually had that experience in a while now, but I used to have it fairly frequently when I would be outside. And I mean, the thing is, it's not like, I mean, you'd be outside in the dark and everything would light up. You could see everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, wow. it's as if it was being illuminated, but like a flash, it would, it would illuminate suddenly and then fade down. So it's, it's one of those, like, where is that light coming from? Is it not physical light? If there was a camera there, would the camera have seen the flash type of thing? At the I same seem to remember, uh, sorry, sorry, that uh, Apollo astronauts reported a similar thing when they uh, traveled to the moon. I think they, they said that that was... So cosmic rays cosmic that rays. apparently were entering the retina. Right, yes. Yeah. And that's, I mean, certainly a possibility that it's something like that. Um, and the fact that it happens when weird stuff is happening might also if that's the case, be interesting that those cosmic rays may be also, you know, affecting our perceptions in, some, in other ways that we're not aware of. Sort of, exactly. sort of catalytic somehow. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's putting well. us in that slightly altered state of consciousness, but at the same time, why, why should I be able to see everything in the surrounding area? If it's just something making me think I'm seeing light, you know, unless my mm. brain is just filling that in. Mm. Huh. It's that's light. And that, that's what must be there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, the moon rotate, I almost feel like the moon rotating for a while is almost stranger than what I saw. 
that would be pretty bizarre to be honest uh i mean because to the point of the the person who submitted it like as you get older you realize oh it's always supposed to face the earth because of the speed that it rotates yeah and realizing how quickly that must have looked like you know <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty wild yeah i mean i, I don't know i don't know maybe maybe they the kids enter into some kind of like trans like state when they're peering into the telescope or something is I, I, I think of uh, Percival Lowell, you know, who spent so many, so many hours looking uh, into the surface of Mars. Yeah. And seeing all these bizarre structures that actually were were not there. You know, all these, you know, the channels, all the things yeah, that he attributed to this, uh, you know, dying civilization of Martians that were trying to save their planet, you know, trying to, to, to gather water from the polar regions and all that. And, you know, people, other people using better telescopes say, well, no, I'm not. I'm, I don't see what he sees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The um, what was I just going to say? I've forgotten. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it is gone. We were talking about the moon and what, what were we talking about right after that? Before you mentioned uh, the Mars thing. The flashes of lights? No, Cosmic no, rays. no. Ah, it's gone. It'll, it'll pop up randomly two hours from now. Okay. <laughs> All right. This next one's on sleep paralysis. Uh, and this was someone in the Discord. Toxic Avenger. And he said, I had my first experience with sleep paralysis recently, and it was not a good one either. And generally, sleep paralysis is not. Um, you yeah. can get you can get used to it, but the, for whatever reason, sleep paralysis is generally not. I've never heard anyone be like, "Wow, I had a really great sleep paralysis experience." It's it's something about it that that kicks in the fear response. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I have only shared this experience with a couple of people, but I don't think most people can even fathom what it was like or how absolutely terrifying it was. Uh, about three months ago, I was a bit of a rut, relationship problems, money problems, etc. I had a dream where I was on a road trip with my wife. Not sure if where we were at the time was not sure where we were at and was never actually in the car during the dream, just sort of jumping forward in time from place to place. The first place was a cemetery. I had a feeling that this place had historical significance. Uh, there was a building, lots of trees, and I can still remember the headstones. This part was uneventful, but still important synchronistic next thing i know i'm parked at a gas pump walking into the into a store at an intersection building looked like an old train depot sitting on the corner of two rails with train tracks behind it it was a triple intersection i spoke with the attendant and told him how we were visiting the old cemetery on the other side of town he warned me to be careful as things have a tendency to follow you home from that place next thing i know we're walking into a motel that part of the dream is a bit of a blur Afterward, I was in the shower, standing with my head under the water when I feel a presence behind me. I turn around and see an old woman with long white hair standing with her head turned to the right and her eyes closed. I scream at her, who are you? What do you want? She just grins, head still turned to the side, eyes closed. Infuriated, I, I grab her by the throat. As I do this, she opens her eyes and blinding white light emanates from them and fills the entire room. At the same moment, I begin to squeeze her throat, only to find it's an empty, empty husk, and she turns into a pile of goo that falls to the floor. I hear the words, see you in an hour. Next thing I know, I'm laying on my bed, eyes closed, can't move, feels like somebody's choking me. I start calling out, honey, 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 and then I feel a hand touch my back. It was my wife who said I was crying out for her in my sleep. Recently, I listened to the episode uh, where you did a roundtable on Hecate. 
I didn't even know who Hecate was before I heard this episode, and considering I discovered this podcast about a month ago from the Snake Brothers, it seems pretty synchronistic to me. I can't help but think but the crone I encountered in my dream. Also, I didn't go back to sleep soon. Nothing happened the hour, an hour later. Um, at the time, I was really researching automatic writing, Ouija, and channeling. Was wondering how I would go back about conducting some experiments. Mostly just curious. So maybe the fact that I, so maybe the fact that I might have picked up a hitchhiker. That's really interesting. Isn't There's it? a lot in that dream that cor- I mean, it, you know, it correlates with Hikate. Yep. Um, the grave, you know, the being in the cemetery. Uh, was pretty notable. I understand why he said it's important. Yeah, yeah. The triple crossroads. Triple crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. Three and one. So I mean, I mean the 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 crone. I mean one of you know one of her faces is a crone. Obviously. Mm-hmm. There, there's it's not it's not really a typical sleep paralysis thing either because I mean he couldn't move and stuff, but it wasn't. Uh, well, he said it felt like someone's choking him. Usually, the the nightmare hag, you feel it on your chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know what you know. Like if this was me, I'm not sure what that message would be. I wonder like when this took place. The only reason I say that is because if it was anywhere like in Mercury retrograde, uh, Mercury rules over I, uh, the throat and and the lungs. I think. Um, so if it was that, that would actually make sense. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, he said he discovered the podcast a month ago from the snake brothers. This was posted on the 18th of this month, October. Um, but he doesn't say when this experience happened. He just says recently. We'll say anytime somebody shows up in my dream and tells me to avoid something or be careful. I just listen. <laughs> and that, yeah. that Hakate round table episode was really important for me because the day you posted that Soraya or that night, the day, that day, I had been um, at a, a store buying a bunch of stuff to create a Hakate altar because I had been experiencing a lot of synchronicities and someone said to build an altar to her. And then that day I come home, I'm looking on my podcast catcher and there the new episode is. And uh, yeah, that was a really cool episode and very synchronicitous to me. Yeah, a lot of people got, got a lot out of that episode. I'm really glad we did it. Um, I got a huge amount of feedback on, on that specific episode with comments like that, that it was really synchronistic to them. Yeah, she's coming. She she has had a massive resurgence this year alone. Um, and, and it seems like a lot of people have never even heard of her. Yeah, um, well, because she's obscure. Like, if you're not really steeped into occult stuff, she's not a, a deity that comes up a lot in mainstream uh, Greek pantheon. Yeah, seconds yeah, and areas. Yeah. So yeah, I I was not really familiar with her, other than the fact that you know there are black metal bands like Hecate Enthroned. Like I had a vague understanding of who she was, but not really much to detail other than knowing the name and that she was a dark goddess and things like that. Right. So when all the things started lining up that that were connected to her, I had no clue. I was trying to figure out what it was, and I don't even remember what it was that finally triggered it. And I went. Oh, Hecate. From my experience this year alone, I've noticed that she is probably the most, uh, like if we put humanity and our reality uh, as a plane and then different beings like on different levels below and above it, as far as its accessibility to us, she is either right under us or right below us. And so she's able, she has a lot more ability to reach us than a lot of other beings do. Hmm. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. You know, to your point about like how much she's everywhere. Uh, when my wife and I were out in New Mexico, we went to Roswell because, of course, you got to go to Roswell. Uh, but there is a Hecate's Cavern metaphysical shop right in the I middle of downtown Roswell. 
What's that? I remember you talking about that, and I was like, man, I really need to go there. That was also a synchronicity. Like, you brought that up in uh, you brought that up in another episode, and yeah. at that point in that episode, I was like reading something or or something like that, and you said that, and it was a very strange moment. It, it surprised me because you know I, I'm there thinking this is going to be a very like nuts and bolts sort of you know sci-fi goofy experience, and then there's this shop like you know right off the main intersection in the town. Hmm. Yeah. It was very interesting. It was like, okay, well, everything's here. This place is just weird. (laughs) All right. So this one actually connects to an experience that uh, Octavian had. This came from Tim. He said, uh, let's see. I had an oddly similar experience to the alien alien wedding phone call from uh, what was then the most recent episode. I was also laying in bed talking on the phone, perfectly sober, staring at one of those textured plasters, plastered 1980s ceilings. Waves of something like dark magenta or the color of purple amethyst started moving across the ceiling at regu- regular intervals, maybe one every second or so. Then, and I swear this is the strangest thing I've ever seen, a 2.5 foot wide eyeball just formed out of the texture. I mean, the ceiling itself became what looked like a dragon's eye. Like it was borrowing matter to press through a layer of reality, maybe. I don't know what happened. I blinked in kind of shock of it, uh, but I blinked and kind of shook it out of my head, and it's never happened again. I had other bizarre experiences on the phone with the same person, so maybe it was her or the combination of the two of us. Um, and a weird detail, but I used to teach photography and I noticed that it had a catch light in its eye. I don't know why that stuck and it wouldn't make sense with the lighting in that room, but I was, but I was just so drawn to it that I thought I'd mention it. So I guess is a catch light, is that the, like a light reflection in the eye? I'm not, I'm not sure. I was just about to look it up just to verify that. Go ahead. Look it up. Okay. Use the smart word box or computer. (laughs) um but yeah i mean it seems like almost trance like like a trance like vision almost yeah yeah i'd be really curious to if his friend has a lot of uh, different experiences too okay so a catch light is a source uh, is a light source that causes a specular highlight in the subject's eye in an image so yeah it's the reflection of the light in your eye okay all right red pill do you uh, do you have you heard the story that I guess in, like not inspired that story, but uh, is similar in mind experience? Uh, experience? It was on the last episode of uh, Where Did the Road Go? I think. No, wait, not. No, yeah, it, was, it was a few back now. Okay. I think I get confused well, because they air on VBR and then they go to patrons, and then everyone else gets the the episode from the week before. So I'm totally out of sync of which one people are currently hearing, depending on where they're hearing it. Hmm. So basically, it was. I was like 15. I was talking to this girl, um, and I, my family went to New York City for the weekend, uh, and I was in the hotel room. The girl was back in Maryland. I was in New York. We were talking, and I, I remember this detail now. Uh, we were laying in bed talking, and we weren't saying anything other than, I love you. We were just saying, I love you repeatedly for like minutes, <laughs> and then the only thing I can describe it is one minute, I'm in my bed, and the next minute... I'm in this purple, purple nebulous space with her. We're in the bride and uh, gowns, you know, a, a, a marriage clothing. And there's like an alien marrying us. And then I am back in my bed again. And I'm telling her, like, what just happened? She's like, I don't know. And then we did 
basically compare notes and we both say we both had the same experience interesting yeah it's the closest i think i could ever say i came to astral projection the it, fact that you both really like a go ahead oh it's just gonna say the fact that you both had the same experience is what makes it really interesting yeah, yeah she exactly. still talk about that she's i remember i tried talking to her about it like a few years ago and she was like i can't talk about that i went into therapy because of it it completely ruined my reality it was very strange so oh yeah. fascinating, fascinating. Uh, octavian was it um like a gray type alien or or what I, the only name. way that i could describe it is like kind of a lovecraftian it, its head was comprised of tentacles with eyes on them okay oh yeah. cool okay that's freaky of course it was lovecraftian yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. What's the next one I have here? Um, okay. I guess we're going to go with this long one. Long one that I find really interesting. Uh, it's a bunch of repeated, it's a bunch of different phenomena at the same place. It's called uh, Haunted in Kenosha. And they say, uh, my childhood home was built in 1948, which was also the year my mother was born. It is located in the south side of Kenosha, Wisconsin. The house is 720 square feet with a basement and nearly inaccessible attic. It still has asbestos siding. It has two bedrooms, a bath, a living room, and a kitchen. The basement had one small room built into it, but was otherwise open. My mother and I moved in moved into it in 1978. I was eight years old. We had two cats, and we soon had got some Shetland sheepdogs. The first strange thing wasn't an event, but strange nonetheless. It was the day we moved in. On the floor of the basement room, leaning upright against the exterior wall, was a framed drawing of a little girl. My mother's childhood friend said that the little girl looked exactly like my mom. My mom agreed. I don't know what my mom looked like as a child, but I was sure she couldn't have looked as creepy as this drawing was. A couple of years ago, I found a photo of my mom at a young age, and she was identical to the girl in the drawing, which I wish there was more info on like where that drawing came from. I mean, did someone have a precognitive uh, artistic thing where she drew you know, the mother years before she moved in? Hmm. Um, minor things would happen during the next few years. Every week or so when I was in bed, I would hear the dryer in the basement turn on. It would run for less than a minute and then switch off. This would happen several times in one night. My bed was directly above it and I could hear it clearly. When I would enter rooms, I could hear echoes coming from the walls and ceilings. It was like a large group of people who were all talking at once suddenly stopped speaking. And that's a weird experience. I don't think it's super uncommon. Have any of you had that experience? Like when you walk into a room and it sounds like people are talking and then it just cuts off when you get into that room? No, but I have had that in the woods. Really? Yeah. Okay. There was a, a trail near my house that I go to all the time and there's a specific area that has a bench and that's where I go and kind of like if I'm, sometimes I'll meditate or just talk to the woods on that bench and uh, I was walking up to that area to go sit on the bench and I heard people talking and I thought there may be someone at the bench there's a curve so you you're when you're walking you don't you kind of come right up on the bench but you don't see it while you're walking to it you have to go around a bend and I heard people talking it was like a man and a woman I get to the bench and there's nothing there they stopped talking there wasn't any cars in the parking lot it was just me um yeah weird experience so uh where was that uh at night the television in the living room would briefly turn on when nobody was in there i could hear it from my bedroom lights in the basement would be on when i knew we had switched them off i couldn't walk up the basement stairs without hearing footsteps behind me uh 
And that I've had that experience outside, not so much inside, but I've had that outside. And it's a creepy damn experience when it sounds like something's literally following you, almost mimicking your footsteps, but not quite. Not quite, yeah. <laughs> and that's different than like getting, like when they say like you're getting paced out of the woods. What's paced out of the woods? Well, like, I mean, in my experience. Oh, like hearing it off to the side. Yeah. Yeah, like something is following you, but off like the side of the trail in the woods where you can't see it. Right, yeah. Yeah, this is like directly behind you. Like someone's following okay. a few feet behind you, and they're almost in step with you, but not quite. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, nothing like this would happen when my mom was around. I wouldn't tell her any of this until I was an adult. If I needed to get out of bed at night to use the bathroom, I had to walk through a 16-square-foot hallway that intersected every room but the kitchen. While returning through the hallway, I would see a little gnomish creature standing in my mom mother's bedroom doorway, which was opposite to mine. This happened four or five nights in one year. My reaction was always the same. I would get into bed and turn away from it. I never asked my mom for help because I thought that if I did, the thing might move. The idea of seeing where it came from scared me more than its presence. My terror never interfered with getting back to sleep, which is another common thing that people yeah. have weird experiences and then can just go right back to sleep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used the word gnome because it was the only word I had for it at the time. It was six to eight inches tall and was sort of fat with angular features. Its appearance was murky. Its facial features and head position would shift by rapidly phasing. Perhaps imp is a better word for it. I couldn't tell if it was a material life form. There were a lot of shadow people. Huh. Some of them had shifting okay. features like the gnome, and some of them were faceless. I would see them day or night in, in every room of the house. Other than the appliances turning on and off, the first time the phenomena physically manifested, I was somewhere between 9 and 11 years old. I had fallen asleep on the living room couch and woke up alone. No lights or television were on. A little light from the street came through the window. I was groggy. I was on my back. I felt weight on my chest. I thought my right arm had gone numb in my sleep. I used my left hand to lift the thing that I thought was my arm. I felt the weight lift from my chest. I relaxed my grip and it fell back onto me. Then I lifted it with my right hand. The one I thought had gone numb and I looked at it. It was an arm, but it wasn't mine. It came from under the couch. It was hairier than a human, but not as much as an ape. I let go and closed my eyes. I didn't feel it fall to my chest. I went back to sleep. Wow. So some of this reminds me of the house that I, I lived in until I was six because we had a lot of shadow people occurrences. And we didn't have like the, the voices stopping, but, uh, you know, this probably happened to my mom the most where you would hear people talking in another room. Mm -hmm. And uh, we lived out in the country. I mean, so it wasn't even like there weren't even neighbors within, you know, half a mile or a mile of this and no sidewalks or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you would hear the voices. I had this experience where I heard a harmonica play in the kitchen all night one time. And, uh, but the black shape of the shadow person or whatever was really the most occurring thing that myself and my mom, and my siblings all saw. My dad saw none of it. Huh. And, uh, when we moved out of the house though, part of the reason we moved out was because my mom was just getting worn out by all of those things. None of it followed us. Hmm, interesting. So it, yeah. So I'm just kind of wondering if this was a, a place based uh, situation that they were running into. Well, uh, what I was wondering is if if this uh, phenomena was just localized on on the one person that mm -hmm. wrote uh, the the message. You know, I mean, I would like to know if if something else happened to the mom. No. You know. No, we're getting That's, there. 
He does. Okay. He does cover a lot of these questions. Um, okay. The arm okay. coming out from under the couch is freaky as hell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that he was able to go right back to sleep suggests that, you know, at least it wasn't a human thing, you know, like it wasn't a creepy guy sleeping under the couch because I think it takes something weird for you be, to be able to just zonk back out like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, there weren't many notable strange events from 81 to 86 In 81. I was taken out of a school where I had a lot of trouble getting along with the teachers and children. I think that the temporary reduction of spooky activity was indirectly a, a result of changing schools. In 1983, I was determined to get over my fear of the basement. I bought a TV, uh, my TRS-80 color computer, an Atari 2600 into the basement room that had once mm. held the girl's portrait in it. I put a toaster oven and a futon in the room and would spend my weekends in there playing games and writing basic computer programs. I was in 10th grade when I became en engaged with the occult and hardcore punk rock. My mom was a social worker, and the country had her train to be a specialist for cases of satanic ritual sexual abuse. She said she never worked a case like that. She had all of the satanic panic books, and I read every single one of them. She was a member of a collegiate, uh, collegiate paranormal society, so there were a lot of these, those kind of books around as well. And some of those, some ghost books, but were mostly about uh, psi abilities. I read all of them several times. I had a copy of the Satanic Bible and the Necronomicon because they were easy to obtain. I wasn't a fan of Anton LaVey's Satanism because of his advocacy of law and order. Uh, the Necronomicon was nonsense. As soon as I could get to Milwaukee, I found an occult bookstore and got some books by Israel Regarde. Eventually, I bought some Crowley books, and I liked Crowley. We got a punk band together. We were called Gilligan's Army. We practiced in the open part of the basement. While in the basement one afternoon, four of us kids were sitting on a hideaway bed that pulled out of a love seat. We were talking about band stuff. We heard the front door open and footsteps walking upstairs. At first, it sounded like one pair of feet, but soon we heard them in all the rooms at the same time. All of the doors were opening and closing until finally the back door opened and then slammed shut. I went upstairs to investigate. All the doors were locked. My mother and I never locked any doors. Then I heard the other kids, three kids, yell from downstairs, and I went back to find them standing around the little bed and looking down at it. They told me that it was like something kicked it hard enough to lift them all up. Yeah. The, the same things began again, appliances switching on, voices echoing, shadow people, and the cats and dogs were watching unseen things. While upstairs, I could hear brooms and other things falling to the basement floor. I permanently moved into the basement room. I like his attitude. The weird stuff's happening in the basement. I'm moving down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I painted got some bowls. <laughs> I painted the wall, ceiling, and floor black. By then I was <laughs> by then I was fearless. A friend and I had been copying a suicidal tendencies tape. We were playing it back on one boom box and recording it on the with the mic of another. We were in the basement. I think he was living with us at the time, or it was just before he moved in. We heard a little girl scream come from an empty corner. It was loud and clear. We stopped the tape and listened to the playback, and we didn't hear the scream on the copy, and it wasn't on the original tape. Um, on another day, I was practicing guitar in the black room. I could see the same friend watching me. He was sitting on a chair in the corner. I left to go get something, and my friend was in the other part of the basement. I asked how long he had been there, and he said for quite a while. He wasn't in the black room with me. Whatever was in there had watched me leave, and it looked just like him. We didn't go into the black room for several hours after that. 
One night I was walking home from my job and he was waiting for me outside the house. He looked distressed. You saw something, I said. He said that he did. He said that our reclusive dog came out from under my mother's bed and was watching something. The world's most non-reactive cat was puffed up looking at the same thing. Seeing that cat agitated was unheard of. For example, there was a time his tail caught on fire, and all he did is ask for more, more food while his tail burned. My friend said that he saw something humanoid moving in his periphery, so he left the house. I made a makeshift Ouija board. I waxed the coffee table several times to make it slick. I wrote numbers and on index cards and numbers and letters on index cards and set them up around the perimeter of the table. The table was 18 by 36 inches. I used a glass candle holder as the planchette. There were six of us trying to use it. Everything we asked was answered with gibberish. We gave up, leaving the candle holder on the table. I began mocking it, saying, what's the matter with you? Are you jealous? What are you going to do, ghost? You're dead. I'm not. You can't do anything to me. The candle holder then shot off the table, scaring everyone but me. I felt there was no point in trying that again because of the gibberish. Um, after that, like I said, this is a long one, but I, I find all this whole thing is to me is fascinating because it, it's yeah. like there's a lot here. There's a lot here. And also, you know, he's talking about when he changed schools to get out of what sounded to be a stressful situation. Everything stopped for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if he's if he's the thing the energy is being drawn from, yeah. that makes sense. Um, but it could also I mean and and that energy can potentially also stay in the house, but it seems like it was it was poltergeist activity that was around him. Whether or not something was also using that, um, who knows. But uh he said after that things like coins and pens started sliding off shelves. This would happen within sight. After another year, I would see heavier things like books and jars falling from tables and shelves. This would occur mostly in the basement, but sometimes it would happen in the living room. I continued to sleep in the black room. I really like that he calls it the black room. Um, <laughs> there were shadow people and all the rest. The shadow people didn't paralyze me with fear. I didn't learn about that part of the phenomenon until after I had moved out of the house. To me, they were just the ghosts. When I saw their presence, I would greet them. In 1990, I was in college and had formed a new band called Spot that was practicing in the basement. We played some shows and recorded a couple demo tapes. In 1992, a Spot member moved to California, so the drummer and I put together another band called Identity Crisis. Spot's music was friendly. Identity Crisis was way more abrasive and played gigs more often. In the summer, I worked third shift at the pornography head shop, pornography slash head shop. I was enthusiastic enthusiastically using psychedelics i started frequenting bars band practice happened more often i mentioned this because i feel like my personal life and mental state influenced the increased intensity of the paranormal activity that followed these events didn't occur while i was under the influence of substances i was at someone's house when the drummer pulled up in his van he asked asked how long i was there i said at least an hour he said that he was just at my mom's house trying to find me the house was a 15 minute drive he said that he knocked on my front door. He could hear my stereo in the house start playing a Nine Inch Nails disc, but nobody came to the door. He knocked harder, and the volume of the stereo increased, shut off for a few seconds, and then restarted the track. He started yelling and banging on the door. The stereo got louder and louder, then shut off again. He left, thinking I was in the house and pranking him. The first night, he slept in the basement. He told me that sometimes he would sleepwalk, and that if he did... All I had to do was tell him to go back to sleep, and he would. I was sleeping in the black room. The chimney and stairway uh, were just outside the room's open door. He was sleeping on the floor on the other side of the stairs. 
I warned him about the ghosts. After sleeping for a couple hours, I woke up and heard someone walk into my room and sit in the chair next to my bed. The person was shifting around and scratching at his clothes. I said, hey, go back to sleep. A second later, I heard the drummer yell out from his space outside the black room. In the morning, I told him that I heard him yell, and he said that he woke up and thought he saw me climbing the stairs. The person stopped and looked down at him. It wasn't me. That's when he yelled. He said it wasn't a shadow, and he could see the face clearly. The door at the top of the stairs was closed. It wasn't in his sight, but he didn't hear it open or close when the figure reached it. Voices would come through the amplifier during band practice, but there was too much gain and reverb to be intelligible. I lowered those levels so I could get a clean sound when I set a voice-activated dictaphone near it for 24 hours. I tried this three times, and all I got was a cat meowing. I don't think the tape would have picked up anything anyway because of what happened with the suicidal tendencies tape. Late at night, we would play video games in the black room. Bottle caps would fall onto the television every once in a while. There were no shelves or anything else above or near the TV, so they must have just materialized there. They were always bottle caps that we had put in the trash, but were no longer in there when we looked. In 1993, I left town to travel with the Renaissance Festival. The next year, I brought back my girlfriend. At one time, we were leaving the black room, and she was about to press the power button on the stereo to turn it off. She got her finger about a foot from it when it shut off on its own. One night, she woke up to see a hat man standing over our bed. She clung to me and went back to sleep. That was the last event anyone witnessed in that house. Incidentally, we're still together and have witnessed two other phenomena, though they were not connected to the house. It would be a few years before I told my mom about any of this. I was surprised when she said that that, that she had never... Nope, I'm reading that wrong. I was surprised when she said that she never had anything like this happen in the house. I asked a couple of other times through the years, but she always said that nothing had happened. She wasn't a skeptic and she wasn't religious. I accidentally... I love how he phrases this. I accidentally attended church services maybe six times in my childhood and was inside <laughs> a church another six times for other reasons. Uh, yes, accidentally attending church services. That's, you know, it's one of those things that happens. <laughs> um, I haven't found any historical records that would indicate a reason for the haunting. The house was only 30 years old when we moved into it. I've heard that pouring concrete is enough to trigger elemental activity in location. I wonder if the asbestos siding contributed to it. Maybe like an orgone accumulator works. Uh, I don't think the phenomena. I don't think of the phenomena as ghostly anymore. I think it could mimic humans, but it was certainly not the spirits of deceased people. Interestingly, there were never any of the classic cold spots in the house. From what I could sense, it didn't seem to be malevolent. I think it was just irritated, especially by the bands playing in the house. My <laughs> mom died in that house in 2019. When I went there to take care of the estate, I slept on the couch a few feet from where she died. I was hoping she would get that I would get some communication from her so I could say, see, told you they were ghosts. I was there for nine days yeah. and nothing happened. I sold the house in early 2020. I immediately uh, looked up the band uh, Identity Crisis. I couldn't find anything, but I wonder if he could send us, like, if he has any tapes from that. I was thinking that, too. I mean, to me, oh, the most cool. interesting thing about uh, the whole account is how he learned to live with it yes. you know, eventually. Yeah. You know? Eventually, it seemed like he kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Which I think I would, too. Yeah, which sort of is sort of like counterintuitive to, um, and of course, he may not be the one that was causing the poltergeist activity, I guess. But, uh, you know, it was AP that had some of that happen where they were always like funny, happy moments. Yeah. Um, it's just very not typical, but... 
I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, you figure here's someone into, you know, punk and, and you know, stuff like that. He's into the occult. Um, he's someone who isn't necessarily going to be terrified by weird stuff happening around him. That's very true. Yeah. And, I, and mm. I've, I've said many times this stuff pr- sort of like it, it feeds off of what you're giving it. So if you're f- afraid of it, yeah. it becomes scary. So, I mean, yeah. some of this stuff was really creepy and certainly could creep someone out, but it's it's one of those things I feel like if I had this experience, I would be fine with it when it happened. But then when I thought about it later, I'd be like, that was creepy. Why didn't that creep me out more? <laughs> also, a part of that story harkens back to what you're talking about, where uh, gods or entities take the form of you know people you know, with uh, his friend being in the room and then yeah. him going out and seeing his friend in the hallway or something like that and then realizing, oh, that wasn't actually my friend in the room. Yeah, yeah. Well, the mimicry is always a part of the poltergeist phenomena too. Yeah, um, and that's and that's what this all kind of looks like. Is it all looks like some sort of some some level of poltergeist phenomena? And someone someone uh, I assume half jokingly wrote, uh, "That's right, Soraya. Everything's poltergeists on uh, YouTube at some point." But really, it kind of is to some degree. Like PK energy, pol- poltergeists as. PK energy. And PK energy is one of the few things we know exists because we've had enough scientific experiments to prove that there's some level of psychokinetic energy that that does exist, even if we can't explain how it works. And the idea of a poltergeist is basically that that PK energy being used either unconsciously by the person or by a spirit picking that up from the person. Mm-hmm. So yes, in a lot of ways, everything is poltergeists, in, not in the the sort of noisy ghost sense. But in the sense that every a lot of this phenomena is likely driven by psychokinetic energy that's coming from us initially. Mm-hmm. What I think is really interesting, and you'll find this a lot in, uh, in uh, there's a number of magicians who like in the ceremonial system when they you know evoke a, a spirit in their chamber, they'll get a lot of psych- uh, of poltergeist activity. Yeah, and uh, a few of them that I've talked to have actually asked the spirit like, okay, when you were you know when before you showed up. There, the windows flew open, the candles went out, they're shaking, like the things banging. Was that you? Were you trying to like scare me away from this? And the spirits have always been like, no, that wasn't me. Right. So I always wonder if like, because I, I definitely agree that it, there, there are aspects of it that are coming from us. But I also wonder if it's just when these entities come into our reality, if it's also an environmental reaction, like just the area that mm. we're in is reacting to these, this new presence that is so unlike us. Certainly a possibility. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, sometimes you can have certain areas that, that are, are more uh, apt to generate PK energy in us. You know, so maybe this house was also just in a spot that that promoted that 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 generation of PK energy. So when he was mm-hmm. under any kind of stress, stuff started to happen, and it just kind of kept going. I mean, because you have the account there of the Nine Inch Nails thing getting played when he's not there. So I mean, it's not only happening when he's there, but it's definitely all related to him. Right. 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 Huh. But again, this is why I feel like it's important not to be afraid of this stuff because it does sort of return that to you. He wasn't afraid of it, so none of it was harmful. None of it was really scary to him, even though, like I said, it can come across as creepy. Um, but you know, like none of it really terrified him in any way. None of it did him any harm. Mm-hmm. One, actually, this story uh, kind of bolsters one of my theories, which is if he's doing so, if this is if it's all happening. And then he gets into the occult. I wonder if he did any magic in the house and if he was able to utilize 
both the power and the entities that are in that house in his magic. Because that is one of the things that I want to see more people doing is if you're a practitioner of any kind and you really want to you know, be in an area that has uh, – that, that helps your magic. Go to a haunted house. Go to a place where cryptids are. If you're already in a haunted house, perfect. You know, like it's going to be a lot easier for you to access these kind of things when it's already happening to you. You just have to learn how to get in contact with it and, you know, kind of utilize it, basically. Yeah. I don't know if I'm comfortable giving that advice to people. <laughs> I don't know. It's like saying, if you go to a place where there are poisonous snakes and, you know, try to handle them. <laughs> well, if you want to learn how to handle poisonous snakes. Yeah, it's for certain kind of people that are already kind of involved in this. Right. I guess. Right, you know, right. I got hopefully, you. Hopefully, you know, there's some caveats that. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, but I, but, but I, I feel like, like. I, I love the uh, – I feel like a connection to this guy because there, there's – even though I didn't really get into punk so much as I got into metal, I did like suicidal tendencies. I didn't have a VIC-20, but I had a Commodore 64, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. like, there, there's certain things in here that really click with me. And then, of course, getting into magic. And, you know, I the, – the Satanic Bible and the Necronomicon, I bought them about the same time. And They're from- always – in the bookstores that I've been to that have them, they're always together. Yeah. Like, they're always in the same – area together and i thought mm-hmm. the necronomicon was a joke i liked levey's stuff i understand what he's saying about the the adherence to law and order but he was also writing that in a time where like the hippie movement was big and he was saying that you know satanists should go against whatever the mainstream is they sh- they should be the counterculture so currently you know if the hippie culture is big then you should adhere to the you know you should be like more in f- in favor of law and order because it's the counter of the the main culture yeah. Also, did he? I don't know if he meant. Uh, maybe he mentioned this. I didn't miss it. When uh, he was copying that tape, did he listen back to it to see if he picked yes. up anything weird? Yep, and there was nothing on it. Oh, okay. And the days where you couldn't just make digital copies of things. No, man. Tapes were <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Uh, tapes were awful, Octavian. I know. That's the whole point. That's why they're great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh, I remember recording stuff off the radio. Yeah. Oh. So bad, so bad. <laughs> what makes it? That's what gives it its flavor. No, no. What was it like a Brian Eno quote, like uh, about when uh, the limitations of technology become uh, nostalgic and reincorporated into art? Huh. I've never heard that. But it's like you know, kind of like how people reproduce MIDI music now, and they do eight bit graphic art and stuff true, you know, along true. those lines. They're they're emulating the the limitations of earlier technology. Yeah, yeah. For but, me, it's I got so sick of how polished everything became after a certain point. I mean, people put more attention into the production of something rather than the actual quality of the music. And that's true. I found that things that are mm-hmm. recorded in a bad manner tend to have a lot there as far as uh, creativity to them. Not mm-hmm. always, but yeah, nowadays the thing is. The technology is there for people with talent to make decent recordings, even if they don't have money. Like, they don't have to make bad recordings to, to be talented. And there's plenty of low-fly fi black metal that is not good. Yeah. <laughs> really not good. You still there, Octavian? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of making very bad low-fly <laughs> black metal, so I, I, I hope you know what you mean. <laughs> There's a reason I never bring up my music on any of my podcast stuff. I try and keep them very separate. 
<laughs> well, now everyone knows your secret's out. Yeah, because <laughs> my like my music's for me. Like, if other people hear it and they like it, that's great. But that is not the intention. The intention is all about making music that I want to hear that I wasn't hearing. My co-host uh, Matt on the last exit loves like you uh, tapes and lo-fi black metal. He's like 21 now, I think. Um, and so he never grew up with tapes or anything. So he doesn't have the hatred the rest of us do of cassettes. <laughs> and uh, he said something like, you know, I'm like, why, why do you like the lo-fi black metal so much? Like, what, what, is, what is it that appeals to you? And he said he feel, feels like he's listening to the end of the world. Like there's a guy sitting there, a band playing as the world is like falling apart around them. There's just like this apocalypse going on and they're just playing as the world like falls apart. That's actually pretty similar to one of the reasons why I always like lo-fi black metal, and I've always said it always feels like I'm listening to music from a time and place that doesn't exist, that mm. never actually existed. Interesting. Mm. Like, it's like almost like a fantasy world, but it's not written about. It's only uh, captured in this very specific form of music. See, I get that. I still don't like lo-fi black metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I totally get that, that description. When he told me that, I went, okay, I could totally understand why you like it then. Like, it made perfect sense. It's just not for me. The thing that annoys me is that now there are bands who try and make lo-fi black metal that mimic the tape sound, but they're not. They're using it digitally. Oh, yeah. That yeah. annoys the hell out of me because it's all this terrible. Like, digital distortion is not pleasing at all. Like, tape distortion, I enjoy that. Like, there, there is a, an admirable quality to it, but digital distortion is just really grating. It's so clean. It, it's it's unsettling to me. Yeah, it's a very, it's supposed to be, like, dirty, but it's, like, clean distortion. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. All right. It, just as an aside, go, go ahead, Sarah. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, uh, I, I wish that I could find some of the old bone records from uh, the Soviet Union. The old what? Have you ever heard of the Bone Records? It was where no. they used old x-rays to print underground yeah. music. I just saw a video on that. Yeah, I mean, the, the records look, they're awesome. Because they're literally, you know, cut from x-ray plates. Yeah. Oh, maybe I uh, have heard of that. I always thought it'd be fun to find a couple of different, like, you know, very fitting songs of that to have around. Oh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, read another story or two. Mm -hmm. Check out WhereDidTheRoadGo.com. You will find an archive of every show right back to the very first one that aired January 26, 2013. There's links to all of our social media, Discord, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitter, YouTube. You can pick up merch at our store that is linked on the page. You can become a Patreon and get extra content every month for as little as $3 a month. You can leave a donation, go through blog entries, and you can contact us. If you have stories you'd like to share for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com is the place to send them. For general contact, it's contact at wheredidtheroadgo.com. And if you want to mail me something, you can do so at P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. I want to thank everyone that listens to this show, that is hearing this, uh, that has supported us in any way. And I particularly want to give a shout out to those Patreons pledging $10 or more. Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan. CJ, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Anne Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, 
Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., Edu Camahort, MTK, Eric Todd, James Lattimore, Jim Pyre, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Craig Cicernos, James Lindsay, Jay, Greg Sagstumi, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupree, Sam Sharon, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., and Amber Hall. Also a special extra shout-out to Vincent Trewell, who does all the recaps of the shows that get posted on the website and YouTube. I thank you all so very, very much. This show would not be what it is without you. You're listening to Where Did the Road Go? This is our listener story show. I got with me Octavian. And hello. Super Inframan. Hello, hello. And Red Pill Junkie. Yo, all. And uh, I do have another long one here. So I think we'll get to that one. Uh, there we are. All right. It was Halloween of 2009. My friend and I had just gotten back for trick-or-treating. We were at my house and just hanging around my room enjoying the night's spoils. I was tinkering with the VCR since I had left it recording all night with one of those seven-hour-long VHS tapes. Oh, more tape stuff, man. I, you don't like Super VH- long play. <laughs> you, you, you don't like VHS tapes, too, do you, do you Octavian? Oh, okay, man. Octavian. You probably thought that we were going to take a break. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we'll ask him when we hear from him again. Um, I hadn't done the math, but I sure was sure I had recorded that night's Halloween episode of a show I liked, and it was somewhere inside seven hours of tape. I was about to get, begin the tedious search through the tape, always cursing why my family didn't upgrade and get a TiVo. For those who don't know, you have to manually search for something on a VHS tape by fast-forwarding or rewinding. There are usually oh, yes. two fast-forwarding and rewinding options. One option is very fast, but you can't see what you're scrolling past on the TV. The other option is slower, and you can see exactly what you're scrolling through via lots of horizontal lines permeating the image. I had like seven hours to search through. Luckily, I knew the shows before and after the particular program I was looking for and would use those as an indicator of when I was where I, exactly where I was on the VHS. I began searching for the show I had recorded, fast-forwarding through the VHS too much here, rewinding too much there. Finally, seeing the end of the credits of the show before mine, I decided to just fast-forward through the commercials. I found it relatively fast in just a few minutes. My friend and I still on the bed eating candy. The whole time our faces glued to the TV looking for the spot to press play. While I was fast forwarding past all the commercials, I remember seeing the hues on the TV change drastically to a dusty orange. Something akin to a truck commercial where the truck is driving through the canyons and desert, but right away it was something different. Suddenly, then a clear image appeared on the TV of hands holding an axe. The shot continued zooming out, revealing a full figure of a child holding an axe above them, ready to split something in two. The child's face was contorted into to a strange countenance, a mix between anger and shock, mouth agape and what appeared to be a scream. 
silent except for the sound of the electric hum and tape noises coming from the VCR. The shot kept zooming out, revealing more of the foreground, and in front of the child holding the axe above his head, there was a child kneeling face, face, uh, face forwards towards him. Abruptly, the child holding the axe then brought it down, splitting the other child's head in two, the two halves oh separating, God. seemingly flying away from one another. It wasn't entirely gory either, but it all happened at a strange fast-forwarding speed that if there was blood or gore of any sort of details, it must have been obscured. If not by how fast it all happened, then by the sudden, how sudden and shocking it was. Most of unusual of all was how cinematic and polished everything appeared, except for the horizontal lines indicating we were fast forwarding through a VHS. The zoom out, the faces, looking back now, there was an artifice to the whole thing, a pageantry to everything we saw. An excerpt from a ghost film or a film ghost. I remember some other commotion happening on the TV as if the tape had been dirt too dirty or crumpled in that section, since there were lots of horizontal lines throughout the end. The image disintegrated along with the strange feeling that I hadn't been aware of, hadn't been aware that I was in, hmm, the image disintegrated along with the strange feeling I hadn't been aware that I was in up until the moment towards the end. I remember the strange feeling being more akin to being in the zone or a trance since I began to be aware that I was returning to a normal conscious state. The image warped, and for whatever reason, my unconscious instinct was to press stop. I turned to look at my friend, and he seemed to be coming out of it as well. We both then looked at one another, making strange expressions as if to confirm what the other one that the other one had seen the same strange thing. I asked him, did you see that? He responded, chuckling to himself, yeah, the kid with the axe, I said. He split the other kid's head open. We had corroborated our experience by finishing each other's sentences in disbelief. I immediately pressed play and rewound looking for what we had just seen, but all we saw was the ending of a commercial, and before that, another commercial. I rewound the tape and didn't see anything, then fast-forwarded and still found nothing but show segments and commercials. Nothing matched the color schematics of the dusty orange hues of the strange scene we saw either. It was just gone, as if it had appeared without explanation. By corroborating what we had seen to one another, we had also reaffirmed that it wasn't a hallucination, or at least if it was, it was even weirder, it was a shared one. All the details matched as we kept going over what we saw in as much detail as possible. But what more can we say other than you saw that kid's head split open? At the time, we weren't scared. We were just confused. I think my friend's reaction helped me not take it so seriously. His finding it funny had an irreverent edge that lightened up the mood. We didn't even think it was supernatural. We immediately went across the hall to my mom's room to tell her what had been seen, both of us finishing each other's sentences and completely dumbfounded laughing to ourselves the whole time. She believed us and thought it was kind of funny, too. And that's all, that's all it was, just a funny thing that happened, a weird story to tell. I remember for the next 15 minutes, conscientiously, obsessively going back and forth on the tape, looking for what had been seen, or at least some vague clue of what have, could have been misconstrued for what we saw, but found nothing. All these years, it's been that experience that keeps me believing and fascinating with high, high strangeness phenomena. It's also what keeps me from downright accusing others with similar experiences as liars. Um, he said, years past, and I've told the story so many times, not ever having another experience similar to that. I've written forums asking people if they've ever had a similar experience. In my search, I found a name for what we experienced, transcommunication. 
I've never heard anyone experience something like this, at least nothing drastic where your television set is hijacked by an entity or ghost. The experience uh, reminded me of uh, something that happened to our friend Adam Gorreitling when he was uh, coming out of, a par- out of a party with a friend of his. Uh, they, I think it were, they were teenagers or something, and they had taken some acid, and then they were uh, walking down a, a street, and I think one of them said, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if, he, if we saw a UFO because yes. no one would believe us? And then all of a sudden, they started seeing all these flying saucers in the sky, and both of them were seeing us. It was a shared hallucination, if you will, but they were both experiencing under the uh, effect of a psychoactive substance. And in this case, okay, the two kids are not taking drugs in in any sense right. of the word, but they are taking what you will think there are massive amounts of sugar and yes. you know sugar affects the brain you know it's, it's that's undeniable you know it's, it's it makes you giddy it makes you you know like hyperactive and they also they're coming out of uh you know trick of treating you know which is a, a, a something that is very enjoyable for kids so they're in a special not in a normal state of awareness i guess you know so i i don't know if 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 it's something like that you know something similar to what happened to to adam Gorightly, but you know that that idea i mean the imagery itself you know how savage it was you know i mean it was the image of two kids you know the one yeah. kid killing the other with a, with with an axe by you know chopping well, cutting his his head in half. So I, I don't know. I don't know if there was some kind of like projection, like maybe one of them saying, "God damn it, you take you took the one candy that I wanted." <laughs> you know, <laughs> you took all the ki- the Kit Kats. <laughs> he he does say that across the road was it across the road from him? Um, yeah, he said a uh, brief brief background of the property. Uh, my house in the surrounding area that um, might give you an idea of what we may have seen, what we saw. I live in a suburb, and everything around my house is considered a residential area, except for the property in front of it. The property in front of my house is an infamous infamous juvenile detention center. Um, uh, he said, I won't oh. reveal too much since I don't want to dox myself, but it is known for torturing children, sex, sexually and physically abusing them, and murdering them. Stories oh from t- survivors have all kinds of awful stories about uh, stuff that happened to them there. So maybe that information somehow got mixed up into what they saw. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe there was a ghost. Like. It was yeah. a ghost of a kid who, uh, who got jealous of these two kids, you know, enjoying Halloween loot. <laughs> Are you- oh, oh because- Octavian, you're back. Yes. <laughs> I, I, uh, interesting because last night uh, there's a show out on Netflix called Midnight Club. Good show, I recommend it. Um, and it's basically these kids are all dying of cancer. They're all at a hospice, and every night at midnight they meet up and tell scary stories to each other. Um, and one of the kids' scary stories, uh, there's a kid who goes to college and he's gay, and he meets another guy. And they start dating, and he buys a VHS tape uh, and VHS player to record this guy's favorite like uh, sports or movies or sports events or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
he captures basically the future on mm-hmm. his VHS. So he'll get like news reports from the from the next day that night well, or something cool. like that. And so there's like this interesting uh, resurgence of uh, what we'll call like VHS horror or like horror stuff surrounding VHS tapes. You know, there's the whole VHS series. Yeah, and I was looking that up to see if maybe it came out around that time. It came out in 2012 because this guy said he was. This was 2009, right? Yes, I think so. I just closed it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. He said, "Yeah, Halloween of 2009." I remember that Halloween. I was in high school. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me too talking about the the sort of pageantry of it because. You know, th- this is a bit gruesome, but, you know, you, if you hit somebody in the head with an axe, it's not going to split apart. True. You know, like a, a special effect would. Right. Uh, it's going to, you know, cave in more than anything. Uh, but that kind of makes me think that this is something that was what they saw was meant to emphasize that a bit more uh, and how they might have thought that would have looked versus what would have actually happened. And the stuff like this, like I had my ex- my experience wasn't with VHS tape, but with. Um, a computer video file where mm-hmm. I was I was looking at uh, I would use a Wisecam to do a um, time lapse of the last exit of the lost. So if it was a particularly interesting show, you know, we had some funny time lapse footage on top of everything else. But when I grab it off the card from the Wisecam, it won't open in anything except for VLC player. Like if I try to open it in Vegas, which is what I use for editing, like it would just be a mess for whatever reason. It wouldn't wouldn't open the format. So mm-hmm. I would have to play it in VLC and screen capture it. And I mean, it was three minutes long or so, so it wasn't a big deal. The, so I had started it, and then uh, I have a program called RSS Owl that updates RSS feeds from different pages. And it was on the screen that I was screen capturing. So suddenly that pops up and I'm like, ah, all right. You know, so I fix it. So it's not going to pop up. And I stop the the screen capture and I do it again. And then the fire alarm goes off in the front of my house. And so I come running out and there's nothing. The fire alarm's now off. And this is where I checked the the camera. And I'm actually going to put this stuff up at some point here as like a little short. uh, Some of the stuff I have on camera that's weird that I don't think I've shared all of. Um, but there's a whole swarm of like uh, dust or something that flies in front of the camera right before the uh, the fire alarm goes off. And there's no breeze in here. There's no wind in here. There's nothing that could have caused that. And I tried to replicate it, and I have that on camera too, and I couldn't get anything even similar to it. And normally there's nothing. the camera Because the camera will pick up dust and like report it as movement. So I'm, you know, I'm looking at the camera to see if, you know, if I could tell what caused the fire alarm to go off and I see that and I'm like, what the hell is that? And then once I am satisfied, there's nothing on fire. I go into the back and I'm like, oh, this has been recording now for a while. I stop it. Um, and now I have two files. The first one that the RSS owl interrupted and the second one. And I'm like, okay, it should be the second one. Let me just double check. And I press play on the first file. And it starts playing in normal speed with sound. There's no sound on the time lapse. I didn't have a normal speed file of this. And I'm looking at it completely puzzled. I'm like, how is, what is happening right now? And I turn it off and I play it again and it's the normal time lapse footage. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't even, I have nothing. I I don't know what just happened. Mm. So that's what it makes me think of when I read his VHS story is that, that weirdness of this can't be there. You know, this footage right. doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, And I think that, uh, you know, there's this idea that obviously paranormal phenomena and electromagnetism are somehow connected. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, John Keel well, talked about that in the eighth hour 
Uh, other people have also theorized that. Uh, and I don't know if that has decreased now that we're so dependent on uh, digital technology instead of, you know, analog. Mm, that's, that's a good point. Does analog stuff pick up this stuff better than, than digital? I would agree with that. But on the adverse side to that, there was a trend a few years ago, actually, I guess last year or 2020, um, where there's a video of a girl and she's, I think she got there because of Randonautica, they're in a neighborhood and um, she's filming uh, a person in her rearview mirror. But then when she puts the video to her, rear, like in, in like reverses it to show the back of her car, there's nobody there. Um, and a lot of people were saying that that was like a digital high strangest thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think the digital definitely there is weird stuff that happens with digital, but or the digital can pick up weird stuff. Um, but I definitely think that tape is more. There's something about tape that picks it up in a, a, a more frequent way. Mm-hmm. And I think digital, I don't know, digital captures things in a different way. It kind of tries to interpret it, and maybe that has an effect. Right. So you you, you, you didn't seem to be there earlier, um, Octavian, when I was asking you if you like VHS tapes as well. You know, I don't have as much of a, uh, a love for VHS as I do for, like, cassette tape, but uh, my my roommate, who is very big in the vaporwave community, uh, he has put out music on VHS tape, <laughs> or has recorded his music on a VHS tape because it still gives you, um, I guess it's like a clear analog sound. It's a, it actually a, a hi-fi analog sound. Um, w- when I did my record label, we considered uh basically putting out VHS music videos and only having them on VHS tape, not allowing them to be. Put on digital. So so making sure no one could ever see them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> except for chosen. Except for the ones who are supposed to see them. Yeah, except perps who still keep them, you know, to watch porn. <laughs> there, I mean, in the, the underground black mineral community, there is a VHS cult. Of there course a, there is. I'm sure they, there is. <laughs> who still use uh, VHS tape for music and for music videos and things like that. So it is Among a Among other things. Yeah. yeah. Well, and actually, VHS tape does record sound very, very well. It's actually what I used to use to record The Last Exit, because the show's six hours long. I would put in a, a VHS tape and get the entire thing on the tape, uh, on one tape, and like the sound quality was immaculate, just on a normal VHS tape. We played around with the idea of instead of doing reel-to-reel, just doing VHS, because we could never afford a reel-to-reel player, but someone, my roommate, actually recommended that we just record it on VHS tape, and it pretty much does the same thing. <laughs> You know, there's computers now, Octavian. I know. I'm, I'm an anti-modernist as far as technology goes. <laughs> as you say on Skype. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, when I started my podcast, uh, there was a brief moment when I was going to record the entire thing on an eight-track <laughs> tape recorder, or like a four-track. Mm, and then and that, that, would, that would definitely increase your sound quality. Yeah, but it was also just a novel idea. The only problem was like it could only be for 40 minutes and then I'd have to flip the tape over and it would just completely ruin the flow of the show. That was the reason why we didn't do it. And then are you only going to distribute it on 8-track? Uh, we thought about just doing like uh, putting out a VHS version of the show. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I don't think that's your best path forward. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 I nixed the idea after I mean, about a month. For novelty's sake, sure, it's great, but you know, yeah, to be exactly. fair, to be fair, Tim was originally going to put out uh, the the uh, the Witch Cloud, Cloud on tape, yeah. and I was going to be the one to help him uh, copy the tapes because right. I have a, like a professional um, industrial tape copier. But it wasn't only going to be on tape. That's the thing, right? Yeah. Like, I'm fine with bands putting stuff on tape, on vinyl, but make sure there's digital copies. Did you guys hear about what happened a few months ago where I think um, one of the pop stars, Adele, was put out one of her albums on vinyl, and it, she ordered, like, a, a massive amount of them, and it backed up all the vinyl factories for, like, months on end, so really? all these little bands couldn't put out vinyl because they were all working on Adele. I haven't heard that. I heard a friend of mine though said that a lot of the big, like someone said, uh, he was talking about Kiss re-releasing, I don't know, Creatures of the Night or something. I'm not a big Kiss fan. I don't remember what it was. Um, but he said that people were complaining because it wasn't coming out on cassette. And he said a lot of the big labels when they put stuff out on cassette, they don't actually work. Yeah, and they charge way too much of them. Yeah, no one be buying a twenty dollar tape that doesn't actually play that has or has nothing on it. It's just like a shell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What you could do, and I've seen bands do this, where they'll put they'll put out a tape, but then in the liner notes they'll put out a, a Bandcamp download code. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Because you know, if a band sends me a tape, I have to digitize it in order to play it on my show. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. There's also, I mean, and talking about media too. Um, one of the things I found disturbing recently was that some of the that there's a new tax code that allows some of these companies to basically delete content they own and get a tax break. So there's what? been a, there's been a number of shows, and I guess most of it's been like cartoons and stuff like that that they have literally deleted out of existence, so they can get a tax break. And they're not available on hard copy, they're not available streaming, and they're not allowed to ever be available again in order for the company to get the tax break. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's like what Discovery is doing with, you know, Warner Bros. content. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, with Batgirl, right? Yeah, they have, like, they're destroying the whole thing. Yep. Yeah, they're also destroying all these uh, cartoons, and I think they're also going to destroy uh, Cartoon Network as we know it. The thing that's really scary, and this is why I highly recommend anyone buy the DVDs of your favorite shows and movies, because yes. a lot of times they are taking out episodes that don't, I guess, hold up to today's audiences. Right. Yeah. Right. And so right. like, for example, um, there's a show called little Britain that came out in the early two thousands, which is really, really funny, but also like really politically incorrect. Yeah. And you can't find it anywhere. It's not on any streaming services. So I went on eBay and bought the full series on DVD. Yeah. All right. We're out of time for this. You guys good to stick around for a Patreon. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, let's see. Let's start with red pill. Where can people find you? They can find me at the Daily Grail, www.dailygrail.com. They can find me at absurdbydesign.com. I promise to one day get back to it and start to update it with uh, new, new posts. And soon they will find me uh, when we release the, the Ufology Tarot. Okay. And uh, Octavian. You can find me at strangedominionspodcast.com. You can find me at Strange Dominions Podcast on Facebook, on Instagram. And uh, for anyone who has music that they you know want to play on the show and you have a tape, send me the tape because I can actually play that on the show. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and Super Inframan can be found 
lurking on 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 what sites generally i hang out around uh, instagram and twitter and the discord all right you are technically on facebook too technically i'm on facebook too but i get on there like once a week maybe <laughs> all right thank you all thank you thank you thank you Again, if you have stories you'd like us to address on a future episode of Listener Stories here on Where Did the Road Go, email them to stories at wheredidtheroadgo.com. That is the best place to do it. I know sometimes people will message me in other places, but then I must remember where they are. So if you send them to stories at wheredtheroadgo.com, they're all in one place, and we will eventually get to them. I apologize to anyone who uh, expected to see me at Albatwitch. My car started acting up about 90 minutes towards uh, Albatwitch, about 90 minutes from home. Uh, drove home fine. Uh, it's a recurring problem we haven't quite fixed yet. But uh, part of it is we don't know why it's happening. It just doesn't like hills. And most of the trip from here to there is hills. So I unfortunately missed Albatwitch. Uh, it's always next year, though. All right. So I'm going to take you out since this is around Halloween, um, depending on when you're hearing this. With some Devo Spice, and Devo Spice is a comedy rap artist from New Jersey and longtime friend. He is, uh, he's done a few Halloween songs, and I had to sit here and figure out which one to play, and I think this is my favorite. This is Trick or Treatin', and uh, yeah, you can check him out all over the place. He has some really good stuff out there if you like this. So Devo Spice and uh, Trick or Treatin'. See you next time. What I did was eat candy each night as a meal From a stash so big you'd think it fell off a truck And I tell you I could swim in it like Scrooge McDuck My costumes made Mrs. Rosenberg plots I don't know what that means but she said it a lot Each year we would take our game to the next level And we'd make our way through town like the Tasmanian Devil My friends would come visit my vast neighborhood Then we'd finish up with theirs just as fast as we could Then the plan was we'd all switch costumes And then if we can go back out and do the whole thing again since I'm out of school, ain't no more trick-or-treating Have to go to the store, buy the candy that I'm eating That's lame, it isn't the same as back then If only I could go trick-or-treating again Trick-or-treating, y'all Trick-or-treating, y'all Just once, I wanna go and do it again Get dressed up and go through the neighborhood with my friends If I could, man, I'd be taking my shot I should <laughs> Well, why not? Maybe I could dress up like a ghost or a ghoul or something And they'll think that I'm a tall middle schooler, yeah I'll be covered from head to toe Ain't no way I'll be discovered, how would they know? Maybe I could walk on my knees to look short Or talk with some kind of voice changer of sorts And use more young people slang when I speak Do kids still say that things are on fleek? I know it's a plan that I should outgrow But throw a sheet over my head and I'm good to go Got the spreadsheet ready for the official tally I just hope no one thinks I'm heading to a clan rally Trick or treating y'all I'm doing it man Trick or treating y'all I'm actually doing it I'm actually going out Trick or treat Oh hey Devo Taking the kids trick or treating eh <laughs> Um Where are the kids? 
No kids, just me. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Hey, Devo, what's up? I'm not Devo. I'm Billy from the next town over. Trick or treat. Hi, Tom. Uh, where's the rest of your crew? Uh, just trick or treat. Just, just put some candy in the bag. Doorbell's broken. Devo, hi. Um, I thought the rally was moved to next Saturday. Oh, come on! Okay, fine. So that's how it's gonna be then. Guess I'll be a kid again and get my sweet revenge. I can TV your house or throw eggs at your door. But wait, I'm an adult and this begs for more. I'll get all your family info and then post on Reddit. Or get a loan in your name and there goes your credit. I said I'd hope it wouldn't have to come down to that. But all it would have cost you was a damn Kit Kat, but no. So I guess I'll give the classics a try. I shop at Costco, you know how many eggs I can buy. It'll be weeks before it goes away. And I'm sure you'll get a fine from the HOA. So remember next year when I come to your door. Make the candy appear or I'm funding a war. If not, you'll find out just how mean I can be. When it seems you didn't get a Christmas card from me. Trick or treating, y'all. I'll do it too. Trick or treating, y'all. I'm just that crazy. Trick or treating, y'all. You have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>